Welcome to Unite Immigrant Families. I'm Rosemary Vega, an immigration attorney with over 20 years of experience uniting and keeping families together. If you are looking for immigration information, stick around and listen to me and my fellow immigration attorneys as we discuss what's new and debunk myths. Please note, this is not legal advice and no legal advice will be given on this podcast. Hi, and welcome to Unite Immigrant Families. Today we will be talking about immigration reform and other options. We have with us today Elizabeth Mendoza, who is an excellent immigration attorney here in Houston, Texas. And I just want to say this um, really quick. Normally, we wouldn't talk about political issues. Um, this is completely nonpartisan podcast. However, the topic today does touch on political issues and it's important for immigrants and, and immigration law. So I thought I would just make that point. How are you today, Liz? I'm fine. I'm great. Thank you. Great. So Liz, there's a bill that is pending or was pending um, in Congress. Can you tell us a little bit about what the bill was about? Sure. So. Um, there were about three or four parts to the um, bill mm -hmm. that was um, supposed to be attached to uh, reconciliation legislation, which we now know that didn't happen, but we'll talk about that in a sec. But the parts of the bill were the following. It was a program, um, it was it was a excuse me, a plan that would um, provide a pathway to permanent residency and eventually citizenship for the people who we call dreamers who were registered in the DACA program. So that was one part of this um, proposal. The second part was um, immigration relief, again, a pathway to residency mm -hmm. and citizenship for people who are in TPS programs, uh, specifically people from El Salvador, from Honduras. Um, then we had another part of the policy that would provide a pathway to residency and citizenship for farm workers. And then lastly, um, part of the uh, plan was, again, to provide a pathway to residency and citizenship for people who um, work in certain professions that are considered essential workers. So those were the targets of this proposal to provide immigration relief. And all of this proposal was um, supposed to be attached to the reconciliation bill. And that did not happen. Okay, so it didn't pass. It did not pass. Okay. Um, so if it didn't pass, do you think that they will try or have another opportunity to pass another type of maybe immigration reform bill? maybe something for specifically for dreamers? I think there's definitely an opportunity and the president and his party have stated that they're committed mm -hmm. to pursuing um, all viable options to try and get some kind of legislation passed to help those groups that I just mentioned. Um, but politically, it's definitely gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough. Um, politically, the strongest opportunity, the best opportunity, the people who support 
these policy proposals had was that the Senate parliamentarian would allow these policy proposals to be attached to the reconciliation bill. And since that permission was not obtained, um, it's gonna be really, really tough. So there's some talk about different kinds of um, tweakings to maybe existing laws or existing programs that might happen um, to try and provide some kind of relief to these population groups, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. And do you think anything specific for the dreamers in particular? I think that the president's party will probably try to introduce some kind of standalone legislation mm -hmm. for dreamers in DACA how likely it is that that legislation would pass is something completely different uh, yeah. just because of the makeup, the current makeup of um, the Senate. For anything to pass in the Senate other than reconciliation, you need 60 votes. And the president right now has 50. Um, he would need 10 Republicans to vote with him for any of the legislation that he would like to have passed in the Senate. And right now that just looks really, really iffy. Hmm, it's I tough. See. It's going to be tough. So, you know, I think the last big immigration reform was back in 1996. That is correct. And then in 2000, I believe there was a little bit of a immigration tweaking, I would say it was, it was a minimal immigration reform, because it wasn't a full-blown reform. Right. Correct. And in, can you tell us exactly what happened in 2000? So what we had actually, um, we had something called 245I, which is the name of a clause in the Immigration and Nationality Act, which is our immigration statute in this country. Uh, it actually came into existence in 1998, and it kept being postponed and post well not postponed so much as the deadline to try and get relief under this legislation kept being pushed back until uh, the last deadline was in 2001 April of 2001 and so what 245i little i did uh, was allow people in the country without status to file a family-based or an employment-based petition mm -hmm. Um, by a certain date. And if the petition was approvable, it wasn't fraudulent, it was, it was a legitimate petition, then the person uh, was considered to be grandfathered, meaning that at a later date when the case was ready to conclude, the person would be able to conclude their case by remaining in the United States and not having to leave and go back home and have an interview at a consulate or at an embassy. Um, they would have to pay a $1,000 penalty fee as part of this opportunity to conclude their case inside the United States. So this 245I tweaking um, that you mentioned that we got, um, what now over 20 years ago, was just, it was just a major, major, major benefit for so many people in the country. Um, a lot of people benefited from it in a really, really positive way. A lot of American businesses benefited from it because so many employers were able to sponsor really, really essential trusted workers for their businesses. So 
So it's been a long time since we've had yeah. positive tweakings like this. And you may see a couple of children from who've been grandfathered under 245i. Oh, yes. Every so often. Oh, yes. But they're getting more and more slim. That is correct. That is correct. Because, I mean, with the passage of time, most people who did file a petition 20 plus years ago have now reached the point where, you know, they concluded their case. So, you know, for the purposes of talking about, you know, policy change and legislation and what's surviving and what's dying on the vine, you know, it would be really great if our elected leaders could give us another 245i um, as at least some kind of temporary measure to try and deal with, you know, what the 13 million plus people in this country who they live here, they pay taxes, they have kids, they buy homes, they, right. they're good people, but they're stuck. Right. And just to give an example for our listeners, um, 245i, it could have been, um, you know, someone's brother who U.S. citizen brother who petitioned for them, and then the children of the potential immigrant, they could possibly benefit if they entered with or were out of status, and yes. they're now married to a U.S. citizen. So right, absolutely. So I know that you see this, and I see this, where people will come in to consult, and you know we we ask mm -hmm. some screening questions, and we find out that you know the person who's consulting with us, his mom or his dad was petitioned by her brother or her sister under this 245i law, and now it benefits their kid yeah. who now is a grown person and has married maybe a U.S. citizen and they want to know, wow, can I conclude my case here or do I have to leave the United States? And they wind up being able to benefit from this petition that was filed from their parents. So yes, it's always really, really great when we can find that, you know, that little golden nugget yep. of assistance is there. Yep. But I have found that those are slowly going away it seems like i don't i'm not finding as many of those as i used to yeah true 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 yeah. true yeah so another thought is well let me just put it to you this way you know a few months ago there was a group of uh immigration attorneys me being included we went to go talk to ted cruz's office about true. immigration reform and one of the things we talked about was 245i and possibly updating registry. It appeared that the staffers at Cruz's office thought that might be something they could get behind. Um, obviously, they also wanted some proposals on enforcement. So we talked about that as well. Um, but it doesn't seem like they really got behind that. I've since that meeting a few months ago, I've reached out and I've not had any responses for another meeting. So that's why I say I don't know if they're really behind that. But what are your thoughts on possibly getting another 245i passed or maybe updating registry? Well, I think that currently the political situation is so tense. Uh, between the two parties that 
I, I hate to sound so pessimistic, but it really seems kind of bleak that we could get even minimal cooperation to get even minimal legislation passed that maybe in other times would seem, you know, kind of almost, you know, a, a given that you could get some cooperation on some kind of basic policy proposals. But immigration, the entire topic of immigration has been so politicized um, in the past several years. It's, 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 it's very difficult to try and navigate right now politically that topic. Um, trying to make changes to, for example, registry, which is not a new case. It's a form of immigration relief that's, that's been around for a very long time, uh, would probably be one of the simplest ways to try and address trying to, to regularize, regularize the status, legalize the status of so many people who are in this country. Um, I just don't know if we can make that happen politically. I hope mm -hmm. I'm wrong. Um, again, the president's party has said that he's committed to pursuing what they can to try and get relief passed. And I know that there are people on the other side in the Republican party who in the past have said that they are for immigration reform. Um, so th that is there, but just the current political situation seems so difficult yeah. to navigate around Let's, this topic. Can you tell us what registry is? Sure. So registry is um, a case that provides for permanent residency mm -hmm. to an applicant who can demonstrate that he has um, a good record as far as you know any dealings with the police or with law enforcement. Um, and that the person has lived in the United States since 19, get this, 1972. So I believe um, the date's January 1st, 1972. Right. So you're talking about almost 50 years. So there's been talk recently about just simply changing the date for registry. So mm -hmm. instead of having to prove that you've lived in the United States since 1972, maybe you only have to show that you've been living in the United States since 2015 or 2010 or whatever date Congress wants to change in this particular type of relief. Even even January 1st, 2000 might be helpful. Sure. And if there was any kind of cooperation regarding tweaking the requirements for registry, I mean, without a doubt, you will have a whole background check component to it. There will probably be some kind of penalty fee component to it, um, which is reasonable. Um, so that might be um, something that gains traction while the two parties, you know, decide what, if anything, they want to do about immigration. Right. And, you know, registry is very, I, it's very, very far in between that I see a registry case. I've been practicing a little over 28 years and I have never had a registry case. So I, they're kind of sort of like unicorns, yep. but uh, they're out there. Yep. Uh, one hasn't I, crossed my door yet, but they're out there. I've had one in my 20 years of practice. Yeah, so, they're, they're just not common, yeah. So uh, that just goes to show our audience that it's it maybe it's time to update yeah. and maybe 
talking to Congress people because that's the only way that this is going to happen. Am I correct? I, I think the more pressure that people can put on their elected representatives to try and come to the table and negotiate in good faith about common sense immigration reform, the better. Um, I've had congressional staffers tell me, listen, you know, Ms. Mendoza, we will get lots of faxes and lots of emails and lots of calls every week for one side of the debate about immigration. And we don't hear a lot from the other side of the debate about immigration. So just common sense, we have to listen to yeah. our constituents. And if they're telling us, you know, vote no, and we're not hearing from a lot of people telling us vote yes, that's not the elected representative's Faults. That's that's the feedback that he's getting or she is getting from their district. So, yeah, I mean, it's really important for people to try and get more engaged with their leaders and tell them. And why is it important that business owners be concerned about immigration and immigration reform? That is such an excellent question. Um, they have such an important voice. They're usually American citizens. They own businesses. They employ people, they pay taxes, they contribute. Um, they, it's more likely that they will have the ear of their elected representative. If business owners would contact their congressperson, their senator and say, hey, you know, this is how I feel. This is what I think about immigration. You know, I've got people who work for me who I trust, who I wouldn't have a business without them. Their contributions are so key to my operation's success. Um, you need to work on figuring this out. If more business owners would send that kind of a message, would try to make the connection with their leaders, I think it would move the needle. Uh, I know that in my practice, when I do talk to a business owner, um, I always ask them, you know, please, you know, find a minute or two to send an email or make a call and make your voice heard on this because it really does count. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had business owners come to me and say, you know, I'm I'm very conservative. However, I have this employee who needs some help or, right. you know, this employee's got DACA. But what happens when they lose DACA? You know, so I've seen it happen and they're, they, these business owners truly want to help their employees. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, there's that, another aspect to, to this particular point, which is, you know, there are business owners who sometimes find themselves in situations where they may feel that there's not a level playing field. You know, they're investing in insurance policies, they're investing in training, they're investing in things that are appropriate for their business. And they see other people who may not be doing that, um, who maybe don't have status. Um, and there is room to, to talk about how to address that as well as part of a broader immigration reform proposal um, so that you know, different needs are being addressed for business owners, for workers, for workers' families, um, so that the whole of the community is benefiting. And we're just not there yet. I mean, every time it seems like we're getting really close, it slips away and it's 
just uh, a shame that immigration has become such a political football in this country. Um, yeah. Immigration has so many different facets to it. I mean, there's the security of our country. There is, you know, the economic, you know, contributions that this country needs. Um, you know, the cultural contributions that immigrants make, and on and on and on and on. And we just can't seem to find the political will to make, you know, to pass just common sense legislation. Right, right. We've got to get past that. So, Liz, you know, back in 1996, with the passage of IRA IRA, um, Congress also instituted uh, a three and 10 year bar for right. uh, people who had what's called unlawful presence. Right. And prior to 1996, that never existed. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about the three and 10 year bar and would it be helpful if Congress decided to say, hey, you know, in certain circumstances, you are not gonna have these bars anymore. Right. So in 1996 in IRA-IRA, Congress created certain bars, certain forms, I guess, for, you know, to use another word, certain forms of punishment for people who were not complying with the conditions of visas that they had uh, obtained at consulates, at embassies, where they would enter the United States with some type of visa. They were supposed to leave by a certain period of time, and they would not they would stay longer than they were supposed to. So with the creation of these bars, Congress uh, created this um, situation where if you stayed in the United States too long, and then at some point you left, and then you wanted to return to the United States at a future date, you would be barred from being able to do that because in your prior stay, you didn't leave when you were supposed to. Right. And, and so we this, have this thing called the three and 10 year bar. And this also um, affects people who entered without inspection. Correct? And it also affects people who entered with inspection as well, 100%. So let's say, for example, you enter the United States with a tourist visa last year and you were supposed to leave in six months and you didn't. You stayed. You stayed you know, out of status mm -hmm. for more than six months. Let's say you stayed out of status for maybe, you know, eight months or 10 months, and then you eventually left and you went back home. And then at some point you decide, well, I want to come back to the United States. You would not be allowed to do that. Right. I'd have a three-year bar. You would have a three-year bar. Let's say that you had stayed here out of status for a year or more. Then the bar dramatically increases to 10 years. So it's called the three and the 10 year bar. Um, there are ways to try and get around that bar by asking for something called a waiver, but not everybody's eligible to apply for a waiver. Right. My understanding, the waiver, you only qualify for the waiver if um, you have a qualifying relative, which would right. be a spouse or a parent who is a U.S. citizen or legal permanent resident. That is correct. So when Congress created this bar, they also created a waiver to avoid the bar. But 
of course, uh, when the waiver was created, it was uh, created in such an incredibly narrow, restrictive way. Because the reality is that most people who trigger the bar, they have children who are born in the United States, but not necessarily parents or a spouse. And so while you have a lot of people who may trigger the bar and they really want a waiver, they can't base it on the relationship to their children who are born here. They have to base it on the relationship to a parent or a spouse. So even though the waiver exists, um, it's not something as easy as telling somebody, oh, well, you can apply for a waiver. Um, a lot of people cannot. So I'll give you a scenario. Let's say I am a single parent and I have a U.S. citizen child who is 21. Mm -hmm and that child wants to petition for me. However, I entered, let's say, without inspection, without a visa, mm -hmm. and I've been here for 20 years, or okay. actually 22 years, okay? okay? So if my child, who's 21, files a petition for me, I obviously can't adjust my status in the United States. I have to do what's called consular processing and go back to my home country to, to do that. If I do that, what happens? Well, if you leave the United States without applying for a waiver, um, then theoretically you would be told by the American consulate, hey, you need a waiver because you've triggered certain bars. But if you're not eligible for a waiver, then you're going to be told that you can't return to the United States for a 10-year period. Right. And under that scenario, I wouldn't qualify for a waiver because I wouldn't have a U.S. citizen or LPR spouse or parent. That is correct. So I would be stuck in that home country for at least 10 years. That is correct. So it would be beneficial if Congress could do something about that. That is correct. Do you think that's a possibility? It is a possibility, and I think it would be one of the easiest ways to try and help address this, the question of how do we legalize the status of a lot of people who are here. Um, either eliminate the bar or make the waiver, you know, expand the eligibility requirements for the waiver. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I mean, these should be easy fixes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Liz, and what other options do, I guess, people have to maybe legalize right now that, well, considering that we don't, immigration reform looks to be dead at this point. Right. Um, it's, 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 it's tough. It's tough. I mean, we screen to see if somebody might be eligible for a U visa, if perhaps they were a crime victim, do they have an immediate relative who might be a member of the military or a veteran to see if perhaps they could get immigration benefits that way? Um, we screen to see if perhaps somebody's been a victim of domestic violence by an American citizen or a permanent resident to see if they might get relief through the VAWA. Um, and of course, you know, to see is there any way that they may be eligible to become a permanent resident based on a family relationship or an employment relationship. Um, or, or if possibly they're deriv derived citizenship through yes. a relative, through a parent or a grandparent. 
Right, right. And then, you know, there are other humanitarian forms of relief. There's always asylum, which is incredibly hard uh, to win in this country, but there's asylum. Um, but it's, it's pretty restrictive right now. You know, there's yeah. a reason why this country has millions of people here out of status or with no status. If our immigration laws were more flexible and more generous, we wouldn't have so many people in this country without status. And I think that's something that you and I probably um, hear very often, which is people who don't know about our immigration system yes. um, think, you know, they're kind of mystified as to why people don't, quote unquote, just fix that or just get in line. Right. Or, you know, there seems to be this idea that people were just kind of um, didn't think it was important to fix their papers or they were too lazy to fix their papers because they should have taken care of that by now. Um, and they just don't understand how the system works. So, right. right. Because there's a lot of times there is no line for people to get into. Right. And, you know, it's not that easy. Right. It just isn't easy. Right. So hopefully your podcast will do a tremendous community service to help inform people about how our system really works. And um, it's not as easy as some people may be led to believe. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm always, you know, doing consultations and people are asking, you know, is there a way that I can become, uh, get my green card? Is there a right. way that I can get a work permit? Is there a way for me to get a social security number? Right. And so many times I have to tell them, I'm sorry, but there is no legal way for you. There is no way you can't get in line. There's no line for you. Um, you touched on something that I think is a constant part of our practice, which is a lot of times we're having to say no. Yeah. And, um, it's hard to have to say no so often because people have dreams and hopes and aspirations and you want to try and help people fulfill those. Right. But our duty is to try our best to explain what are your realistic options? And a lot of times there are none. So I guess the ask is, you know, all the U.S. citizens and LPRs out there, contact your congressman. Please. Please, yeah. please. Con if, if you are in favor of immigration um, reform, uh, if you believe, if you think that um, we need to do something to help legalize the status of a lot of people here who um, they contribute. They're good people. They're the moms and dads of people who have died in combat defending this country. They start businesses. They pay taxes. They coach your little league. They're the pastor of your church. They're taking care of your elderly mother and on and on and on and on and on. Um, if you believe and think that, you know, they have earned the opportunity to become mm -hmm. a fuller part of our community, please contact your congressperson. And keep in mind, for the people in that population who are bad actors, we don't want them here either. Right. Uh, for people who are bad actors, I mean, they need to be part of, you know, immigration reform to find a way to, you know, tell people who really, really mm -hmm. shouldn't be here, they need to leave. Right. And that's why we have removal proceedings. And that's why right. it's very difficult for 
them to get out of removal proceedings. Right. So that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Liz. Thank, thank you, you very thank you. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unite Immigrant Families. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want more information about me or my guest, please email me at uniteimmigrantfamilies at gmail.com. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. I hope you join us on this bi-weekly podcast. No legal advice was provided and none will ever be provided on this podcast.